0: Ruth chapter one. And this morning we'll look at verses eight to twenty-two. Eight to down to the end of the chapter. Ruth chapter one. This week we've seen some more terrorist attacks. <coughs> A uh, Christian missionary murdered in Lebanon. Hotel bombed in Kenya unsuccessful attempt to shoot down an airliner. For people who survive this trouble, life will never be the same. Some will probably be consumed with hatred for years to come. Some will spend the rest of their lives looking over their shoulder, trusting no one. While others may experience a new zest for life, having looked death in the face, everything will now seem more beautiful in comparison. Whatever each person's response might be, the, the principle is still this is still true that trouble or adversity profoundly affects us. In Ruth chapter one, we're talking about Naomi and her trouble. Trouble that God had brought into her life. We started last week, heard about it. <clears throat> this week we'll see something of her response. And in the process, hopefully learn what kind of response the Lord wants from us. Well, let me read it. Ruth chapter 1, verse 8. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you, as you have shown kindness to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud, and said to her, We will go back with you, to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I haven't had a husband tonight, And then gave birth to sons. Would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. At this they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people, And to her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. I think this text has two truths for us, one from the example of Naomi and one from the example of Ruth. The first is this, from the example of Naomi. Don't let sorrow deaden your soul. Don't let sorrow deaden your soul. Last week we heard about Naomi's sorrows. She and her husband Elimelech had left their home in Bethlehem to try to escape a famine and moved to a foreign country, to Moab only to have Elimelech die there, away from home, away from family. And then to pile sorrow upon sorrow, Naomi's two newly married sons died as well, leaving her a widow with two widowed daughters-in-law, alone in a foreign land. Surely we could sympathize with her in her agonizing losses. But this morning, I think we see in this passage that this sorrow had a devastating effect on Naomi. It ate away like cancer in her soul. Specifically, it produced two terrible traits. We see them expressed in these two sections of our text, in the uh, dialogue with, between Naomi and her daughters-in-law, from verses 8 to 18, and then in the arrival back in Bethlehem in verses 19 to 22. The first trait that the sorrow produced was hopelessness. Hopelessness. This is seen in her discussion with Orpah and Ruth, her daughters-in-law. As we saw last week, Naomi had decided to go back to Bethlehem, having heard that the Lord had visited her people there with blessed relief from the famine. But for some reason, she does not want to take her daughter's-in-law with her. We're not told exactly why. We can guess. Perhaps it was uh, some embarrassment had to showing up with this evidence of her disregard for God's truth and that her sons had married Moabite women. That's conjecture. Whatever her reasons, her attitude is certainly different than the attitude that we find with Moses in a, in a similar situation where Moses tries to persuade his Midianite father-in-law to come with him to the land of Israel. And we read it in Numbers 10, 29. Now Moses said to Hobab, son of Ruel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, we are setting out for the place about which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us. And we will treat you well, for the Lord has promised good things to Israel. And we could see Naomi saying that to Ruth and to Orpa. Come with me. We'll treat you well. The Lord has promised great things to Israel. Come be part of this. But that's not what she says. She says, go back to your mother's home. Indeed, three times she tries to dissuade them. From coming along. Where's the hope? That God is visiting his people. And you're connected to this family. You need to be there too. Where's the hope? It's no longer there. Naomi's sorrow has deadened. Whatever hope she once had. Instead, Naomi's repeated concern is that these young women need to settle down and find rest in a new home. Home. And she can't provide husbands for them. She has no more sons. And so she says, go back to your mother's homes and remarry. Marry a Moabite man. And when they refuse, she argues her case even more pointedly. She said, not only do I have no sons, if I had a husband, which I don't have, and if I conceive sons tonight, and even if I had more than one son, it still is too late. You wouldn't wait all that time. You're better off somewhere else go back home. It's interesting the way she says this. In verse 9, look at verse 9. May the Lord, Yahweh, grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. That sounds pretty nice. May the Lord grant you rest. Here Naomi calls upon the Lord, Yahweh, to bless these young women, and what she wants for them is rest, the term that is used of what God promised Israel in the land of Canaan, that they would find rest there, peace there, happiness there. But while she seeks the Lord's provision of something which the Lord had promised, Naomi seeks that for these daughters-in-law, Completely apart from re- any relationship to God's people. Apart from any relationship to God's word. Apart from any relationship to God's covenant. Apart from any relationship to the God's promised inheritance. Indeed, apart from the Lord himself. You see, this is a woman who knows the language, knows the Lord, but has allowed her sorrow to deaden her soul. So that even her prayer for her daughter's-in-law is not something fantastic that God alone could do. Her prayer is only for what everybody else does. Find a husband, settle down in Moab, and have a nice life. Sorrow has deadened her hope and anything more but the most telling example of Naomi's hopelessness is heard when Orpah finally gives in and goes back. And Naomi suggests for the third time that Ruth do the same thing. Look at verse 15. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. is going back to her people. She's going back to her gods. You go do that too. Really? Can Naomi be advising this? Is she really happy with Orpah's decision? Is she really telling Ruth you would be better off? I know you don't know much about Yahweh, the God that we worship in this household. You would be better off just going back and worshiping Shemash again. The God of the Moabites. The God to whom children were offered as sacrifices. Naomi's sorrow has deadened her soul till she hopes for nothing better. Well, she speaks of the Lord, but she lives in this no man's land of hopelessness. But well, It's even worse than that. Naomi's sorrow has produced another trait. It's produced deep bitterness in her soul. We see it first showing up in the last part of verse 13. She says, No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. You see, these young women were grieving too, these are young women in their late teens or early 20s at most. Newly married, and now suddenly they've both lost their young husbands. They're in grief. But Naomi says, oh no, my situation's much worse than yours. Oh, Really? Sounds like self-pity, doesn't it? Why is it that my situation is so much worse than yours? Well, she says literally, Yahweh, the Lord's own hand, has attacked me. Robert Hubbard in his commentary explains, It amounts to a lament accusing God of cruelly botching up her life. That's the kind of bitterness that's indicative of a cancerous soul, isn't it? God botched up my life. God attacked me. Unfortunately, that's not an isolated statement. That's not the end of Naomi's bitterness. If we look down to the end of the chapter, we find what ought to be a very happy occasion. Finally, Naomi and Ruth arrive in Bethlehem and all the women of the city Come out joyously to greet them. The picture is one of everybody rejoicing in the streets. Can this be Naomi, they say. Haven't seen her for ten years. They can't believe their eyes. It's been so long. Everyone is delighted in her return. Everyone except Naomi. She says, don't call me Naomi. Naomi means lovely or pleasant. Don't call me Naomi. You can call me Mara. Mara means bitter. And then she begins to level accusations against the Lord. Look at verse 20 and 21 again. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full. But the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune against me. Four times in these two little verses, she bitterly indicts the Lord for the trouble that he has brought against her. The Almighty has made my life bitter. I went away full. Well, not exactly. You fled because there was famine. I went away full. The Lord brought me back empty. The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Oh, we understand Naomi and we can say, yeah, sure. Wouldn't you feel that way? At least she acknowledges that the Lord's a player in her life. That's good. And Naomi's not alone. The whole world reacts to bitter, with this kind of bitterness every day. But God's people are to be different. Instead of looking at God through the eyes of our bitter experience and sitting in judgment of him, we are to look at our bitter experience through the eyes of God and try to make some sense of it, knowing what kind of God God is. Think for a moment about what God was doing, what Naomi knew of the Lord that she chose to ignore. Think of the contrast between Naomi and Joseph, for example, in Egypt, who endured such bitterness, such terrible trouble, but without a bitter soul. Naomi knew that God had promised to give Abraham the land of Canaan. Naomi knew that God had provided for his promise by sending Joseph ahead to Egypt to preserve his people in the midst of the famine. Naomi knew that God had preserved them for 400 years there. Naomi knew that God had heard their cry of distress when they became slaves and had miraculously brought them out of slavery. Naomi knew that God had preserved them for 40 years in the the wilderness and had given them his law and had revealed himself to them. Naomi knew that God had brought them into the land of Canaan and had subdued their enemies before them and given them the land that he promised to Abraham. And his care had only begun. Naomi knew that right then, Right then, uh, he was sustaining them in this terrible time of unbelief and disobedience, which was the time of 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 the judges, that God was still showing mercy and raising up judges to deliver them. Naomi knew what God was doing. But unlike Joseph, who tried to understand, then what could my trouble mean? In light of what God is doing, how could I see my trouble? That God is still sovereign. God put me here. God has a purpose for me. No, Naomi didn't do that. She sat in judgment of God, because all she could see was her trouble. And the truth is, God wasn't done with his wonderful plans yet. For right then, he was uh, bringing about a king named David who would bring about uh, the the justice and show the mercy of the Lord in building the kingdom. And under his reign, Israel's boundaries would grow to the full extent promised to Abraham. Even that would not exhaust God's promise, for out of the line of David, he was bringing forth a Messiah named Jesus, who will rule the whole world and remove the curse of sin and bring righteousness. The Lord's doing wonderful things. In the midst of which, here's Naomi in her trouble, and you in your trouble, and me in my trouble. But she's not delighting in the Lord and trying to see what his plans have to do with her. She's not trusting that he's on the throne even though things look bad. She's not believing that he is able to work all things for her good good and for his good purposes. No, she's feeling sorry for herself. She's living in hopelessness even as she speaks of the Lord. And she is blaming God for all her troubles. Your people don't let sorrow deaden your soul. That's what Naomi did. Naomi knew the Lord. Naomi believed that the Lord had visited his people. and Naomi had committed herself to come back to return to the land of promise, the place of God's promise. But Naomi had no joy in the Lord. Her heart was only filled with darkness. You see, you and I are no different than Naomi. When we ignore the Lord and his word, our hearts are unprepared to deal with trouble. Just like hers was. And when sorrow comes and when grief overwhelms us, we too face a crucial test. Will we run to the Lord and seek his comfort and view our experience from his perspective knowing that he is true and he is gracious and he is loving and he is faithful and he's still in control? Or will we look through the lens of our bitter experience and shake our fist in his face and say, I hate you for this. How can you do this to me? Don't let sorrow deaden your soul. Well, in the midst of all of that, we have Ruth's response, which is completely different, which brings us to our second point. If the Lord is God, trust him. If the Lord is God, then trust him. Recently, uh, there's been a lot of talk about paradigms and paradigm shifts and thinking outside the box. We kind of hear that kind of language these days. Paradigms are the the lens through which we see things. It's the way we understand reality. But that, uh, while it helps us organize our thinking, it also, our paradigms filter out everything that doesn't fit our version of reality, doesn't fit what we think, our way of thinking. Consequently, it's been observed that new discoveries of great magnitude are usually made by younger scientists or by Scientists working outside their normal field, who were able to think outside the box. Who weren't limited by a long commitment to a certain kind of way of thinking. Now maybe that explains the difference between Naomi and Ruth here. Naomi, like some of us, had known the Lord for her whole life. She knew lots of facts about the Lord. She had undoubtedly worshipped the Lord. She knew the routine quite well, I'm sure. She, her soul had be, but her soul had become deadened by her trouble so god had become someone that you talked about that you made reference to that you believed in but who offered her no hope and inspired no bold faith he was just there and he appeared to be against her right now everything that happened she saw through that certain grid Naomi, on the other hand, knew very little about the Lord. She probably knew only what, uh, Ruth, on the other hand, knew very little about the Lord, probably only knew what Naomi and uh, Elimelech had taught her, and they don't seem to have been the kind of people who were very concerned to teach her. But neither had she become cynical by measuring God against her expectations and her bad experience. And so when Ruth comes to believe that the Lord is true, what does she do? Well, she simply trusts him. It never seems to occur to him that that presents her with an impossible situation. She just trusts him. If the Lord is God, she'll trust him. And that's what we see in the middle of this section, verses 16 to 18, Ruth's wonderful response. Let me read it again. Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. Remember, Naomi had been urging Ruth to return back home to Moab. Here, the third attempt, Ruth digs in her heels and says, don't talk to me about this anymore. No more pressure. And then with this wonderful, poetic, majestic language, she states her faith. She makes a commitment to Naomi. Where you go, I will go. Just the opposite of what Naomi had been urging. Naomi said, go back, go back, go back. She says, no, where you go, I go. Where you stay, I will stay. In other words, wherever the future takes you, you can look right over here. I'll be right there beside you. That's where I'll be. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. This is in Direct contrast to Orpah, who had just returned to her people and her gods. Ruth says, no, your people are my people. Your God is my God. Ruth is renouncing her ethnic and religious roots and adopting those of Naomi. Her relatives would now be the Israelites, not the Moabites. Her God would be Yahweh, not Shamash. Robert Hubbard describes it well. One must not minimize the sacrifice and the pain involved, he writes. Whatever her motivation or her knowledge of Yahweh, she willingly abandoned her family, her familiar surroundings, and her religious traditions. She took on the uncertain future of a bitter widow in a land where she knew no one, enjoyed few legal rights, and given the traditional Moabite-Israelite rivalry, Faced possible ethnic prejudice. Such was the character of this young Moabite widow. A character to be emulated. Oh, but it didn't stop there. Where you die, I will die, she says. So this is not a temporary thing. I'll stick with you for the few years you have remaining. And then I'll go back to Moab and resume my life. No, where you die, I will die. Ruth intended to live out her life in the land of Israel, serving the Lord God. Where you are buried, there I will be buried. Even when she is gathered to her people, as they said in the Old Testament, the people with whom she would sleep in death would not be Moabites, they would be Naomi's people, the people of the Lord God, the Israelites. In fact, to confirm her commitment, she swore an oath by Yahweh. May the Lord, Yahweh, deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything, but death separates you and me. And the fact that she appeals to Yahweh, not Shamash, only confirms that her God is the Lord. And if the Lord is God, then she will trust him completely. Oh, you see here, Ruth, the Moabite widow, becomes the true daughter of Abraham, the great man of faith. Abraham left his family and his homeland armed only with the promise of God. Go to the place that I will give you, and I will make of you a great people. And and Ruth left her family and homeland even without a promise. Bound to her mother-in-law, Naomi, entrusting herself to Naomi's God. This commitment of Ruth is also the paradigm of faith which the Lord Jesus holds before us. For he calls us to cling to him and to follow him in exactly the same kinds of language that Ruth clung to Naomi and followed her. Listen to Jesus in Matthew 10. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In other words, if Jesus is Lord, then trust him. This morning I want to challenge you who know so much about the Lord but have so little boldness to dare to trust him. Is the Lord God, or isn't he? Is he sovereign, or isn't he? Is he in control, or isn't he? Is Jesus truly alive, risen from the dead? Or isn't he? Is Jesus the King of kings and Lord of lords? Or isn't he? Is the gospel true, the only hope of the world, or isn't it? Is God's word really an authoritative word from the living God? Or isn't it? It's time to stop sitting on the fence. To stop halting between two opinions and decide. If the Lord is God, then trust Him. Do what He says, whether it seems possible or not. Go where He sins, whether it seems uh, convenient or whether it disrupts your plans or not. Proclaim His truth, whether people believe it or not. Live for him, whether anyone else does or not. In short, dare to be like Ruth. If God is the Lord, trust him. Seldom do we have such contrasting examples of faith as we find in this chapter. On the one hand, there's Naomi speaking in the Lord's name, obviously deeply rooted in the people of God, but in reality, living in hopelessness and bitterness. And then there's Ruth, who knows almost nothing, but is bound in unwavering devotion to the only believer she knows in the whole world. And through Naomi is bound unwaveringly to Naomi's God. And which are we? Like Naomi? Or like Ruth? Don't let sorrow deaden your soul. For the Lord is God, and trust him. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, it's encouraging to read about people who lived out their lives in the real thick of the struggle of this world. And while it sounds like we're really hard on Naomi, oh, Lord, how well we understand Naomi. For we tend to be just like that. Lord, I thank you, though, for the radical, simple, straightforward devotion that we see in Ruth. That reminds us of the kind of faith that you expect us to have. If we really know you, the living God. Help us, Lord, in our trouble. Most of us don't know how we would respond if we faced such sorrow as Naomi faced. But Lord, we want to have bold faith. We want to be pleasing to you, and we want to guard against a bitter heart, and hopelessness, and cynicism. Lord, we want to try to understand our experience in terms of what we know about you and not to put you on trial because of what we know of our experience. Help us, Lord. Only you can give us such bold and living faith. We ask that you would do so. In Jesus' name, amen.